0: Hey, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today. Today's episode is brought to you by the Cool Hot Guys. No, not John and myself. I'm talking about the best air conditioning company in Arizona. You know, when it comes to an AC company, you want one you can trust. And the Cool Hot Guys, you can definitely trust. You know, a lot of these AC companies out there are going to try and rip you off. And these guys, they're honest, they're straightforward. They'll take good care of you. Look them up online. That's CoolHotGuys.com. Or if you have an issue, just go ahead and call their... 24-hour number, that's 602-COOL-BUS. Yes, that's 602-COOL-BUS. And now for today's episode. Today we are lucky to have our really good friend Thomas Klafke on the show. Thomas is a local sommelier. He's worked for a couple different great wineries in California, and he wanted to spill the truth all about Howell Mountain. You know, this was a great episode. It's got a lot of information about Howell Mountain, California wines in general, the sommelier business, and it was just a lot of fun to record. Really hope you enjoy. Thank you very much for tuning in today. I
1: just don't, I don't get people just glug 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 pour a tumbler of some scotch and just sit there and drink it like yeah, all day not, that's like, not
2: super enjoyable for me
1: i don't get it like i know i watch Men a lot recently because i never saw it and i'm watching that and my dad watched an episode Draper. one time yeah and he's like that's how it was i'm like how like how do you guys drink that much because you just fucking drink it i'm like dude that is just straight booze the one thing about day scotch, day though. Long. the
2: one thing about scotch though is once you get on the scotch train and you start feeling like Feeling good on it, it's tough not to keep drinking until the whole bottle's gone. I, I've gotten on that train before—the Scotch train. So the,
0: the problem though is, we like to drink wine, and you start drinking bottle after bottle after bottle, and then you switch to a glass of scotch, and you're the next day you're like, what "The fuck hit me." <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: I don't yeah.
1: know. I like. I I think I found that I just love PD scotch, and that shit is so expensive that I really just can't get anything else, which isn't bad. So which one
2: do you want to start with? It doesn't matter. You know, like, as I mentioned before, these all three of these wineries are within. Literally two square miles of each other on Howl Mountain. So So Um It like doesn't this. matter.
0: Oh yeah. And by the way, I just hit play, we just start talking. So I mean technically it's already recording. I'll oh just, word, whatever. I yeah, will start I'll cut it wherever we want to cut it, but that's kinda how we do yeah. yeah. Start off with the the Scotch side of that.
1: Totally. Now this would be a fun
0: episode, man. An entire Howl Mountain cabs. We've yeah, I'll be honest, I don't know a lot about Howell Mountain.
2: You know what? It's funny because so Napa obviously has all these delineated ABAs right over the years how mountain was like one of the first ones like it, it, it was separated from napa in like 83. the first i think appellation that separated itself as a sub-appellation was carneros but carneros obviously shares itself with sonoma county too so the first real napa ava sub-ava was how was how and what makes how how and why they separated it from the rest of napa valley is because it's above the fog line so everything that's below the fog line can't technically be categorized as Howell Mountain. So 1,400 feet is where kind of the fog line is. And everything above that is considered to be Howell. So there's these badass wineries that are kind of like in the middle. But they're still on the mountain, like Viader and Burgess and Bremer. And like they got like screwed out of the Howell Mountain Appalachian by like a couple hundred feet.
1: But was- can they just buy fruit and be... Yeah, well, I could, mean, obviously they could. They buy, could fruit buy fruit from it. Up, up there, but they're. they're but the winery not on. State, their state
2: their estate vineyards are not part of Hal, even though it's on the actual same mountain. Do they then technically
1: fall into St Helena, or are they still it's Napa? Just Napa, ABA. yeah, that sucks. So they, they got, got screwed out, out of everything. That too. Yeah, they're trying. Like, <laughs> it's like people on Pritchard Hill,
2: a couple of those producers are trying to come together and like create their own little sub but there's some pushback from how, how mountain people light on how, but one of the things I was, how Mountain light right
0: one of the things I was reading it said that to qualify for the AVA you have to be 1,400 feet above 1400 above. feet which is or 420 meters which is
2: above the fog so we Damn know, man, this
1: is a freedom show not a European show
2: <laughs> We know that the valley floor if you're staying in Napa when you get up in the morning it's like foggy until like 10 or like 10:30 and then it burns off and that marine layer burns off. But what's unique about Howell is, although it's colder weather on top of the mountain, they get like three hours extra sunshine every morning. So, like I live up there, and like I have to keep my blinds drawn because six o'clock in the morning, the sun's the sun's out there hitting the vineyards, and that extra three hours, even if it's colder in Howell Mountain, and it's usually a little slower to ripen the fruit up there, that extra three hours kind of. Adds up over the the growing season, and we harvest almost the same time as the valley floor does, maybe a, a week later, or two weeks later. But are,
0: are there any AVAs now above Howell Mountain, like north of or of in Napa? I mean, like because you have the the Napa area, right? And then you know, I think You're we're talking th- height wise, because Calistoga is well, technically more what, north. Well, you end up with the southernmost one is Carneros. Yeah. The
2: most north in Napa Valley is Calistoga. Calistoga, yeah, but that's kind that's still kind of like that's about Valley floor, like um, kind of below mount st helena
1: yeah are you bigger because i like mountain fruit a lot and we were talking about this in one episode we did where we had sojourns how and spring to kind of compare and i have a buddy who works over at uh, La Coya, and being mm-hmm. that they have all four different ones i like vita but all my fridge mountain ones are vita or how mountain wines. so
2: th- i love this topic because the, the all all the mountain districts are so different yeah um Howl is unique in the fact that it's Has a western-facing slope, so it gets afternoon sun all afternoon. Okay. So the intensity of Howell Mountain wines and like the richness is is somewhat more powerful than it would be on the other side of the mountain, on the Mayacamas, because the afternoon sun doesn't hit Spring Mountain. So if this was like, if the tabletop of the mountain was like
1: this, it's not a flat land, and all the vineyards are kind of just on a side slope that faces west for the most part? Mm-hmm. Like there's really nothing on kind of the other on side? On the other side,
2: not really. And then you get down in this Pope Valley behind there. And okay. There's some grapes that are grown down in Pope Valley. They're halfway decent, but um, some really good Sauvignon Blanc back there. But what makes, I think, how really unique above the other mountain Appalachians is that it has intense afternoon sun. Um, but the freshness is there with Veter and with spring because they don't have that intense afternoon sun. And so they lose a little bit of that kind of dark, rich ripeness, but then you'll have amazing acid. Yeah. Right. Like spring mountain, like you go up there, the wines are ripping, ripping acid, good tannin, but they lack like fleshiness, right. They're not like super round. Have and, you
1: done harvest up, up on the mountain? Like, like actually like been out there when they picked out a couple morning times or anything like
2: that? Well we're picking right now. Um, and you're not there. Savion Blanc. <laughs> so, well, sorry, picked, it's just the, the white the one. The day right I flew now. out, like they're picking Savion Blanc. Um, Cabernet is still like another month out. But yeah, I, I've, I was in har, i was at in harvest for in Oakville when I was at Turnbull, and so I got to experience harvest um, mostly on the valley floor, out of the mountain Appalachians. Hal is probably my favorite. I'm, I know I'm biased. I live up there, but Viter for me has like the most aromatic complexity. Yeah, like occurs. I love Veter, like the way the wines. They, there's something about the wines on Mount Veter that smell just so good, uh, dude. That and Coombsville to me
1: is always one of my favorite because there's a very specific smell that I'll sit there and with him I'll be like, I'm pretty sure this is a Coombsville. There's almost like a minty freshness that comes out of well, Coombsville. It's cold down
2: there in, in that south part of Napa. It's cold. It's closer to the bay, and um, Coombsville, the Cabernet, um, doesn't get like heavy duty r- richness or ripeness. they're amazing wines. But because of the colder colder temperatures, I think that. Some of the Cabernet still has a lot of pyrazine in it, and so uh, you'll get you'll sense, get yeah. perfumed wines. Same with Viter. Viter's more south. It's 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 closer to the bay, and so that cooler temperature I think sometimes dries up. Um, it brings up more aromatics in the wine. There's more pyrazines in the wines.
0: I don't think most people even realize how different the different areas of Napa. They think of Napa as one area, and that's yeah. it. And so we're talking about you know Oakville. We're talking about you know Atlas Peak. We're talking about mm-hmm.
2: Vidor. And I don't think the average consumer even realizes that there's a difference. It's crazy. Like the microclimates in Napa are are so different, and it's a patchwork of a hundred and some odd different soils. I mean, that valley was created by like tectonic movement. Like the whole Maya volcanoes
1: at the back end of that. Right. The the whole
2: Mayakamas, though is a fucking tectonic plate that lifted out of the ocean, (laughs) and then you have the other side of the Vaca the Vaca Range, and that's all lava flow, and um, compacted ash which we call tufa right so the the even oh, that's both tufa si- is? so both sides of the mountain are entirely different so you'll have like marine sedimentary soils on on the mayacamas and then lava stone on the other side and then patchwork of all types of strata on the valley floor um it's crazy it's such a diverse place and having lived there now for a while for three years i've been able to like taste out so many different places and there's a reason why we've broken these things down into these sub subcategories, these sub AVAs, because their wines are completely fucking different.
0: Do you think that at this point, living up there and trying all the different wines, you could pick out the different AVAs mostly by smelling or tasting these wines? With a lot of them,
2: I think that um, maybe um, mountain versus valley floor, I could probably do. But when it comes to like picking Oakville versus Rutherford versus like wines grown in St. Elena, I mean the wines are very similar to there. I would like to think because I worked in Oakville and I know the wines so well in Oakville that I could pick out like the ripe, beautiful opulence of Oakville. (laughs) (laughs) I I get a lot of greenness. I actually, for me with Oakville, you know, especially young Oakville
0: wines, almost you get that a a fair amount of bell pepper coming out of them with a lot. I don't know. It's,
2: I know, I don't necessarily get that, but like it's the warmest appellation in Napa Valley.
1: I would like to see people do. So usually it's
2: ripeness that they get in Oakville. You
1: could probably do a comparative taste and you get people about the exact same size, like, Two hundred pounds, six or two thing. Have them all drink, and you could see who gets drunk quicker off of mountain fruit versus valley fruit because it's like probably a good two percent alcohol swing between what you're drinking.
2: Everything in Oakville is fifteen percent alcohol
1: at like minimum, I imagine. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I mean, not everything, but the majority of the wineries pick pretty late down there, and they're getting lots of sugars in, in the grapes. So fifteen is the the standard. The mountain wines are uh, usually, generally speaking. I bet all. I don't. I don't. I haven't even checked these, but I bet all four of the or all three of these are. Oh, uh, less than, than I, brought
1: my, I brought my I bring my dad to nap. Mm-hmm. I mean you met him a bunch of times when I brought him to Turnbull and uh taking him through, he's clearly a, a floor Napa Valley drinker. He likes that big Scotch drinker.
0: He's that, a Scotch drinker, that yeah. Coffee, coffee <laughs> he likes the big yeah. stuff.
2: Yeah, so 146, 14, 144, 14, and 141. Yeah.
0: All right. So, so I appreciate that for one reason is that usually when a lot of winemakers just put fourteen five on every bottle because mm-hmm. they know that they get the extra swing, they get the half percentage swing by law.
2: I think it's one I, one full percent yeah. is what they have.
0: So, so, but usually if somebody uses an odd number, so instead of saying all oh, fourteen or fourteen five, when it has 14, 14.6, 14, 14, usually it's a pretty accurate reading to me. Right.
2: So, so this is so this is Neil family. This is literally from my doorstep, about two hundred yards, and I always take like this nature walk down this road. It's called Liparita. And there's like these little, like these two little ponies that are really funny. I feed them like, like little grass. Shetland ponies. Little Shetland <laughs> ponies. I like gave them some names and stuff. And would you name them? Oh fuck, I, even, I forgot. T Boss and Left Eye.
0: Because <laughs> that's Sean had goats, and Chad's <laughs> what he named his goats. Charlie Murphy, T Boss <laughs> and Left Eye.
2: <laughs> um, but I'll like bring like a bag of carrots and like feed them carrots. But anyways, on that walk, um, it's like 200, 200 yards down. And, There's Neil family down there. Family-owned winery. How many wineries are there approximately
0: in the Howell Mountain area? Do you know if they're like a rough estimate? I have actually no idea. Okay, I was just kind of curious.
2: But um, it's pretty concentrated. There's a lot of wineries up there that are like small little family-run things, too, that just don't have tasting rooms. But um, it's pretty densely planted, but not like the valley floor.
0: It's only 2,000 acres, I think, total in Howell Mountain.
2: Well, the mountain's giant, but like... (laughs) The what falls into the AVA though. Yeah, I don't know ex- the exact acreage, but the mountain like has a lot of space on it to, to plant things, but they don't they don't plant very much anymore um, because a lot of that property, a lot of the land up there is owned by the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Aren't those, uh, I was talking about the story, aren't
1: those the people who want the apocalypse to happen?
2: I don't know. I don't, I think they're great people. Number one, I live amongst them and they're like really super kind, but it's so funny. Like Howl Mountain is such a beautiful place, all these forests and it could be like the posh, like almost like Aspen of Napa, (laughs) but because their Seventh-day Adventist church really owns like over half the mountain, um, they don't drink alcohol, they're vegan. And so there's no bars up there. There's no restaurants up there. So is it a and everything's closed on Saturday? Because that's the, that's what they That's like holy day. That's like you their can't do day.
1: tasting room openings on Saturday or No, or
2: that's the, what's so funny is also is that the winery like this mountain's packed full of like most amazing wineries and they're open for business on Saturdays, of course. Um, but like the Adventist community, like everything that's commercial real estate is all theirs. Uh, and so there's no restaurants, there's no bars, there's no coffee shop up there. Well,
0: they I, founded the town of Angwin.
2: Well, Angwin had existed, but there was a resort, and I don't know like the deep history of this, so don't like quote me on, on this, um, but there was a resort that they bought, the church bought, and then they repurposed it for the college. So Pacific Union College is the college up there.
1: I'm assuming Presbyterian College. Or Seventh-day Adventist. Seventh-day Adventist college. college, yeah.
2: I mean, you don't have to be Seventh-day Adventist to, to yeah. attend. But God, that'd
1: be a great college to go to. It's got to be tiny, but still. <laughs> so
2: it's it's tiny. They have a good curriculum. And
0: so in Angwin, the restaurants, do they serve alcohol? or they? There's no restaurant. Restaurants?
2: There's not even one.
0: That's got to be rough living up there then. For, well, for Santa San San Elena
2: is, is 10, 15-minute drive, so it's not that, that far. Just go down to Santa Elena and there's plenty of restaurants down Tough there. Tough drive,
0: but, like real windy. And but and
2: the reason why I even brought that up is because of that... Um, absence of commercial, um, activity up there, they've, they've also preserved this giant badass forest back there. It's called Las Posadas and no one ever hikes in it. And I go down there and there's like this untapped, like 48, 40,000 acres of beautiful forest, incredible, like Doug firs and California pines and even redwoods. And I have this like forest that's completely preserved by this church and I can like hike back there and there's all this natural beauty that, had it not been that way, where they protected that forest, I mean, may, it might be all vineyards.
0: I totally forgot that about you—that you were very much into plants. I remember when the oh, yeah. first times yeah. I was selling you wine, you maybe walk outside and we walk through this garden outside the wine shop, and you're showing me cactuses. And you're talking about <laughs> these plants. This one just flowered last night, and it's the only flowers once yeah. a year. And we spent thirty minutes walking through this garden before you let me even present you wine. I'm, I'm <laughs> fucking fascinated <laughs> with awesome. it, man.
2: I'm fucking fascinated with. Um, with mother nature it's like kind of like religious to me like that's where i find my like my religion i'm not an overly religious person but when i'm out in nature and i I just i can't i get overwhelmed i love it all and so i try to like this and i just did this recently which is kind of funny as i went through las posadas i'm trying to figure out all the names of all the trees and everything like that and be able to be able to identify them all and so, I've been out there like collecting leaves and shit and going back home and like Googling them and trying to find them and stuff. And there's do like, they have an app that you can take? A picture yeah, I bet of there is something. an app yeah. for that. I need to I've get got that it shit. on my phone because an app for
1: everything yeah. nowadays. Yeah, so. I, I only downloaded it because I was like, What the hell is growing out of my ground after a <laughs> rainstorm? Turned out it was corn, which I don't know how the <laughs> hell. <laughs> yeah, the that side of my house, that big stalk that I had where I was like, What is this? Went on and did the What is this picture app or something and snapped a picture and was like, This is corn. I'm like, I don't even know where the hell corn would be growing <laughs> and why. I live in Old Town Scottsdale, and there's corn growing on my
2: property. <laughs> but it's worse.
1: fun, yeah. Because now we'll go to like my girlfriend's huge into plants. She loves to get like little succulents or yeah. ivies or it's like Jumanji in my house. So I'm constantly like, all hey, right, well, because she, she'll need name some drop something here, man. By the I, way, I, I do. That's what Sarah was supposed to you do. You know, it yeah. brings so
2: much life to your house. I have like my, Dude, little, my little tiny place up there. I have like eight house plants, it's like a jungle, but it, like it gives you this like well, beautiful feeling in there. It
0: turns out I'm really only good at growing one thing, and that's weeds you have weeds unluck- all over the house <laughs> my plants out back died and now weeds are taking over like it doesn't matter like I, everything i do i kill plants so here's the thing weeds take over
2: you have to invest in plants that thrive on neglect <laughs> that, that like don't need anything that's what i've done and so like i, I just fun. i just set them and forget them and like Oftentimes the way people kill plants is because they like worry about them too much. They they feed overwater, the shit out of them and overwater yeah. them and then rot you rot the roots and it's over. I gotta we, find a girlfriend so just that just don't has the same mentality. on neglect.
0: We've all had those girlfriends, they're not good. So um
2: I don't
1: kill those by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So what we, we're drinking the first one. This one's Neil Family, very small winery up on Hal. Um, this is their estate Cabernet. Um, they make other wines up there too. Very affordable wines, uh, and a lot of these wineries, like for the the, the quality of what they're producing up there on Hal, like if if they were a, a, a valley floor appellation, they'd be charging 150, 200 for these wines. But every one of these, well, I think um, I think this one's over 100. I think the Bravante is like 125. But this is under hundred dollars. This is under hundred dollars. Like the wines are, are, in relative terms. I mean, hundred dollars is fucking expensive. Let's be honest. Yeah. But uh, compared to like Italian or, or um yeah, yeah, yeah. certain you know. But like in the Spanish wine industry, you're stuff. like,
1: oh, that's not bad for being Howell Mountain. But
2: they they've kept the prices really really reasonable. So um. I was reading the, damn good wines.
0: Uh, they have a lot of like Zinfandel is a very important grape up there, but I don't necessarily see a lot of Zinfandels coming out of there. you always talk about Howell Mountain Cab. Like well, it used to
2: be very uh, it used to be a big thing. Um, obviously. If you're a intelligent farmer that wants to stay in business Can't and you have a hundred acre property and you sure. say you see that a Cabernet is selling for a hundred dollars bottle and maybe you might get $27 for a bottle of Zinfandel, I mean, logic's going to take over after a while and you're going to replant everything and it becomes more of a monoc- monoculture. But Zinfandel was a very important grape on Howell Mountain for a very long time and there's still some small producers that make Zinfandel there. Too bad that happens. Like Black Sears and stuff you like were talking that. Robert
0: about Craig had one. Robert Craig. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah,
1: that's right. He just, just passed, passed away this right. weekend.
2: I saw that. Um,
1: I've seen I've seen a couple How Mountain Zins and it's crazy because you drink those things and they're still, they're lighter than what people expect from a Lodi Zin, obviously by mean, but it tastes so good. And it's, it's sad that you see like certain awesome vineyard sites. You're like, that's such a cool weird grape get ripped up and torn for up and they man. throw in Cab, which, it you know, is. isn't too bad. But at the same time, you lose that diversity of grapes up there.
2: Yeah, it's a little tough to see that, you know, because um, Zinfandel is like pretty much heritage, you know, it's been around in California for a hundred years and. For it to take like an old vine gnarly Zinfandel plant, but which by the way they crop heavy like the majority of their life, even when they're old, yeah, you can get a big crop off off Zinfandel to to pull that out just to plant it for Cabernet for financial reasons is tough to see, but I get it, yeah, I get it. I mean, I saw I went to one. Have you ever been over to Schoolhouse? Mm-hmm. They have all that Pinot
1: Noir that's in that bowl in Spring Mountain. I think they're the only Pinot Noir producer on Spring Mountain, or the only Pinot Noir vineyard on Spring Mountain. Right. It's honestly, one of the coolest wines. Grant the guy's owned that property for like seventy years, so he doesn't care. He's like, I right, this is yeah. my place.
2: There's some cool outlier properties like that, like the people that make the wine El Molino. They're like Rutherford Pinot and Rutherford Chard. When oh, Rutherford's like yeah, super warm Rutherford up, up there. Pinot, but they're really damn good wines. And I just think like if the site is really good and it's it's like growing beautiful Pinot Noir, even if it's like up in the up in the valley where it's hot, if it's still good, like why pull it out and plant Cabernet? Yeah. I don't know. I, I respect that though.
0: But you were talking about they're picking uh, Sauvignon Blanc. You said up there. So, I mean, obviously you're, they're still
2: growing other. varieties. So we are crazy. Um, <laughs> we, so I work for a winery and, and we'll keep them out of the discussion. Cause I don't want to be a representative <laughs> of this winery. Um, we're, we grow Sauvignon Blanc up on Howell Mountain, which is incredibly rare. We grow a very small amount of it, but um, as to not be a, a winery that just has Cabernet, and so we can pour something nice and refreshing during the summer, we have it's funny, Blanc. he just gave it
1: away
0: because he's like the only Sauvignon Blanc guy up there. <laughs> no, I mean, there's other
2: Sauvignon Blanc growing up there for sure, but like we're somewhat rare in that ha- to have Sauvignon Blanc on Howell Mountain.
0: So what else is growing up there right now they have? I mean, of course, Cabernet's the king, probably a good amount of Merlot.
2: Well, everything that's Bordeaux grape is growing up there.
0: Any Syrah? Or people say no because it's tough to get rid of and it's just kind of...
2: I don't know. I don't see too much Syrah, but I know it's planted on the mountain somewhere. But there's not like a Syrah producer like that's known for their Syrah up on ca- How ca- Mountain ca- very Franc.
1: much. You said you, you have a house up there, right? <laughs> are people allowed, if they have houses up there, are they allowed to plant vines in their backyard?
2: Well, they certainly have to get like permitted from the county. But, Do um, they? Okay. So my, my house, the... the owner of the house. I do not own the house. I wish I did. Um, <laughs> but the owner, my landlord, he had to go through a lot of um, permitting and got like red flagged and all this shit. But he has like a, an acre or like maybe over like a little less than an acre of Cabernet. So like, my house is surrounded by a Cabernet vineyard, which is really cool. But I think that there's some, there's probably a quantity I was gonna
1: say, I wonder if like it's based on. a certain amount of
2: vines where you have to like get permitted.
1: Like if they were to sell it to, let's say, one of these guys versus like, no, that's mine. I just, I make that because it's my backyard. You just plant it in
0: your backyard. There shouldn't be a problem. It's just as you a, grew there's, tomatoes there's a, there's or watermelon. I'm it's sure there's a certain the amount of knows. quantity.
1: California, California probably, they, they're like, you can't even use water, water on it. And,
2: yeah. But the answer to that, I think, is yes, um, that you can do it because I know like several of my neighbors have like, I have like three rows. And so. I think I'd so, imagine. but when you get into the commercial thing where you're going to sell the fruit Actually, yeah. and you want to claim right. that that fruit is Howl Mountain AVA, you definitely have to get licensed and you, um, yeah. for someone to buy that and call it Howl Mountain yeah, Fruit. Yeah,
0: if you just grew three rows in your backyard and just made it
2: yourself in your basement, I don't think anyone would have a uh, Most people probably wouldn't even know you're making it, but yeah. yeah. It wouldn't That's be a big deal. It's as, soon as, you tra-
0: as soon as you try and sell it, though, yeah, government wants a little cut of it. Yeah. Especially in
1: California perspective. This was good, by the way, man. This was way lighter than I thought. The tannins are actually really, really soft on this one for being 2014. Yeah. You know
2: what's... Well, 14, though. Um, 14 was a cooler vintage, and the wines did come across a little bit lighter in in body and more perfumed and higher acid. Whereas we'll go into 15 next, and you guys will see like this wine. It's from a different winery completely, but in a different winemaker. It's got more. It's going to have more unctuous like, richness to it because it's a 15. And then this is 13, which is also a big, round, beautiful vintage. I love it. So three three separate kind of vintages. Have four, I yeah, love we have that. a 14, 15, and a 13, which is cool. So we'll, we'll be able to see the differences. So
0: cool. let's talk about you for a minute, and then we'll go back to Hollow Mountain. Uh, who, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> who is your daddy, and what does he do? <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, yeah. So to the the listeners, um, I'm Thomas, and I was a, or am a sommelier, and I had been in the Arizona sommelier community for many, many years and worked most sides of the business, did uh, a retail for a long time. And then I moved on to a little bit of wholesale work and then got into the restaurant business and became a sommelier and got credentialed in that and was able to direct some really neat wine programs in Arizona. Are you a level
0: one, two, three, four, five, six? I'm a certified
2: sommelier. You know, at the point of when I passed my second level sommelier, I like... Did I want to pursue like an advanced or a master? I mean, that, that could have been something that would would have had my interest in, except for the fact that like I already was in possession of some of the best sommelier jobs in Arizona. I didn't really feel like I needed to credential myself more in order to achieve a, a better job. And, um, so, and I also don't think that those certifications like define you as a sommelier, which is like a philosophy of mine. Like a sommelier is a man of the people and needs to be concerned themselves with maybe not how much knowledge to obtain. But how to be able to talk to like humans, and, like connect with them, and be able to give them the an <laughs> yeah, amazing yeah, people experience. People forget that sometimes. And as much as you know about wine, that doesn't necessarily translate to dollars and cents for your restaurant either. Like you could be a fucking master sommelier, and have your list, your wine list, filled full of esoteric, weird wines that no one wants to drink that just match your palate as a master sommelier. And they have no personality. And you're going to be fired really quickly because you're not making any money for the yeah. restaurant. So. I believe in yes, knowledge is really super port- important in the realm of a sommelier. But what's even more important is your ability to first connect with the guest, and then have a wine list that is going to be approachable and that they're going to want to drink those wines on the list. I don't. I'm not someone that's saying you just need to load your wine list full of like brands. But I'm also not of the opinion that you should load your wine list full of um, Stuff esoteric like. wines from like little islands and shit either. Even though those wines are really appealing to us because we're geeks, but like the average consumer is sometimes just feels comfortable opening a fucking bottle of Silver Oak.
1: That's one thing we right? yeah. talk about a Even lot. Even though there's here better is, wines, but yeah. like
2: they feel comfortable with that, and if you if they feel comfortable, why force them into a situation where they're not going to feel comfortable?
1: So like we because we talk about especially in this city and honestly it's like this city's kind of becoming like it's angsty teenager like it was so it was the same exact thing forever there was only a couple handful of restaurants that had great menus you were on one of them for a while and there was not really any sommeliers out there because this was catered to everybody who visited mm-hmm. Arizona at the time so it was always big brand big brand big brand and we were at place dinner one night eating at a place that's super well known we looked at the wine menu and we just like fuck like whatever we'll just get this because we kind of know it a little bit but now you're starting to see it like we go to a place like Glybon and their menu is just all just really cool wines that you kind of know, but they pair nicely. Yeah, and yeah. every little restaurant starting to stash in these really awesome, cool wines while still maintaining the couple big brands that people know. Yeah. Just in case, well,
0: a, a great wine program you're going to balance the the You'd mainstream stuff balance. and the geeky stuff because you know what? I'm going to go in and I don't want to drink a mainstream wine that I can buy in a grocery store, but my mom or my father are going to be are comfortable buying those wines.
2: Right, like some people aren't comfortable buying Fiano. Yeah. They, they not like shard. Kur Kerner. Fallen Fallen we we were drinking Ker, We were
0: drinking Kerner that one night yeah, at Glide on at the, the Thai restaurant. Right. And how old was that? It, it was, was like a
1: seven year old Kerner. They'd probably been holding onto it for five years. By the way,
0: banging too,
1: out of nowhere. We were like, dude, what a gem we found. A seven year old Kerner.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that shit is good. It's so it's good. Yeah, it's and, what well, is that? Some hybrid of like s- Mueller Turgal or some shit. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: and it's grown in like, you know, the far north, east of Italy, up above Trento. There you go. Ballasarco. It's funny. You know, like you'd think like maybe a thousand years from now, if
1: everything is the way that it is, Howl Mountain would be like a weird outlier of cab being done, you know, because everybody's so used to Valley floor cab being so big and so predominant, so over oaked and macerated that when you have this, you're kind of blown. It's it kind of is a reflection of like people like my dad who drink the scarlets, the the big jammy stuff, the everything that comes from the Rutherford and Oakville. And and because I poured him a bunch of Howl Mountain's. And Spring Mountain, and he was like, I can't drink Spring. It's tearing my mouth apart, and the Howl Mountain's too light
0: for me. Right. But all the flavor in the world was in the Howl Mountain. Granted, they were younger, but still. So you're someone I respect an awful lot in the business. Because of your palate, the way you've approached everything, the way you've always been fair to reps, the way you've always been fair with building lists. How did you get into the business? What was your epiphany moment or what made you go, you know what, this is my direction, this is my career path?
2: I don't know. It was funny, you know, I I didn't, I didn't, I grew up with parents that drank wine. They were very religious people that didn't drink wine and so I wasn't exposed to it for a long time during my life. But I got this job, this little job as a clerk at um, AJ's, which for those of you that don't live in Arizona, AJ's is like a super high-end grocer that has... Uh, shitloads of gourmet food and also they have like a big ass wine cellar and a big humidor like for cigars and i was always interested in cigars a little bit so i like i would like mosey on in the, i was a clerk right i was like stocking groceries but i would like go into the wine cellar and like kind of head towards the humidor and like check out the cigars and i'd buy one here and there and i would talk to the cellar master at the time about um ed <laughs> ed sullivan um, shout out um so i would talk to him about these cigars and i'd be like oh this one has a connecticut shade wrapper you know this one's from nicaragua and this one you know is from such and such from honduras or whatever and and we would talk about the different flavors involved with cigars and i was really intrigued by that and after a while he's like hey if you like like this and like you can like delineate the flavors of these tobaccos and you're like super geeky about that maybe i should teach you about wine like what would you say about moving into my department and like i can get you a um, from stocking shelves, I can get you like doing something that would be valuable for yourself. And I'll give you like a $3 raise. So that I was like, <laughs> of course I was like, cool. I don't know anything about wine. I don't really care about it at all. I mean, I, I might've tasted wine like two or three times in my entire life, but I was like, Hey, three bucks an hour. Shit. I'll do it. So, um, the epiphany moment where I knew that like, this was going to be for me was I got to being, being brought into that environment with, um, people that knew a lot about wine, these cellar masters that, that had procured these collections and all these, these fine grocery stores, they kind of, took me in and they were very great mentors for me and a lot of them I still love a lot today but they would bring me these tastings and this was when the wine market was booming back then too in Arizona and so I would be going to like a DRC tasting there's like fucking 15 bottles of DRC tastings that you wouldn't even believe and I was such a novice I didn't know anything I didn't even know what DRC was and what it was drinking I was just like oh this is like this is great it tastes <laughs> like cherries and leaves um I didn't know it was like a thousand dollars <laughs> a bottle but the epiphany moment I had is I went to this trade tasting. Um, I think it was a southern Southern Wine and Spirits show, and the theme was big reds, and uh, pretty much an opportunity for buyers to like get ready for the season coming up and like find all the big expensive reds that they were gonna buy. And I went to this little table um, where there's this really cute little French girl, dark hair, um, really it's elegant. Always the cute girls that uh, bring yeah. you into wine. <laughs> um, real elegant. She was pouring a wine, a wine out of a decanter, and. The bottle was really pretty, it had a yellow label and a bell on it, <laughs> and Angelus, Chateau Angelus, and um, eye-opening moment for me, and she, I was like really enchanted, obviously, this beautiful French girl pouring me wine, but she poured me a 1996 Angelus, and that moment I was like, wow, man, like this is, this is different, like this is, this is good, this is really good. That's I, really cool. <laughs> I'm really intrigued by this now, and um, so that was one of the moments, there's been lots of like aha moments for me, but the one that kind of set me on this different plane was Chateau Angelus. Right, there's always one that just there's, like so, does it. Right? Okay, but, now that's yes. that's my
1: story, but the same thing. I had a, dating a girl who loved wine. This girl Casey, and I was like, okay, crap. She loves wine. I gotta do something to like like figure out wine and shit. And I went to Bevmo and bought you know those five cent deals or whatever with buy a bottle. <laughs> Bosch. And I always remember the wine. It's the Tappy small bag always, and I never still to this day think. Was it the girl that got me into the wine, or was it that wine that got me the wine, or was it just both things coming now together? Now you're making me, me feel like an a... asshole. Like,
2: t- tapis, dude. Like, I'm a, like a bougie ass You got the cushion, right? <laughs> yeah. But. Angelus over okay. here, and then tapis, man. I feel really bad now. I, I am a
1: I'm cheap, cheap person, way. bro. I, I'm, the, I'm a cheap, grimy person when it comes down to. So I, I eat sabaros if <laughs> given an opportunity. Like Come on, bring me some but, of that. My man.
0: But literally, I had the same thing. Every, every wine tasted like wine to me. It didn't, it all tasted, red tasted like. Wine, white tastes like wine. Wine taste. That's it. Just wine tastes taste. like wine. Wine taste. Yeah. And I had a bottle of '96 Jordan that made me go, oh. and that was the wine is that, that goes. Fraser's, by any chance? No, it was actually I was uh, managing a restaurant, and it was my GM's favorite wine, and he was given the gift by a rep for being a. Some of those older Jordans accountant. were
2: really good. You know, they were really making good wine back in the '90s. And so I met ma- Alexander.
0: Uh, it Jordan is now. Is- I don't know
2: if it was then, but yeah. it's Alexander Valley. Yeah.
0: But I just remember him. We finished work. We popped that bottle, and that was the first bottle that ever had nuance it was ups and downs and lefts and rights and hills and valleys and peaks and it was just so much going on it didn't taste like just wine and that was one of my epiphany moments where i was like now i get
2: it that's really damn cool
0: yeah and then of course i worked for some mediocre jobs for a little bit and (laughs) then i worked for a restaurant where they focused really heavily on wine and that's where i fell in love with italian wines yeah yeah, that's where I fell in love with Al Policellos so, and Amarone. So taste
2: this. This is one of my favorite wineries on Howell Mountain. And I just did a tour up there with the hospitality manager. Her name's Michelle, and she was, she's so fabulous. And... They take you on like this off-road excursions. Chimarosa, by the way, they take you on an off-road excursion on like this um, crazy backward how Mountain road, like, and, like a
1: little ATV or one of those crazy, jeep yeah. thingies. <laughs>
2: and she took me way up to the top of the estate, and then there's like this little cabin up there that they do their tastings in. And uh, that's so cool. We tasted all, all through all their Cabernets, and um, just spectacular wine for me. This is obvi- this is for me. A little bit more opulent than the first, so you can maybe see vintage variations. Obviously, a different winery, but you might see the '15 vintage now show its and, like sleeves.
0: And what do you mean by opulent? Real quick. By
2: opulent, I mean like round and rich, right? Yeah. Like opulence. So you, a lot of people
0: don't know these richness. terms too. That might be listening around the yeah. world. So we always yeah. try and break down as some of these opulence terms as and-
2: opposed to like lean and like. Um, High acid and like, are these still mostly all family
1: or are they been bought out by like a hedge fund? All three of these thing? wineries
2: are 100% family owned. And is that you think that's kind wineries. of just
1: because it's tiny up there and there's not much they could do? Because every time I like we see certain wineries that we love, it's always bought but out. Well, wineries like
2: these, so all these wineries, the, the biggest production winery of all three of these is Neil family, they make 5,000 cases. Um, so that's really small. Which, is crazy, which isn't a lot. So <laughs> a small winery like this um, that's only making a thousand cases or two thousand cases doesn't isn't really commercially appealing to like a big yeah. company, really, like in dollars and cents wise. So I think that's a, the reason why a lot of Hell Mountain wineries, especially when they're only out.
1: seventy dollars bottles and not a five hundred dollar bottle,
0: yeah. there's definitely a lot more to that. That wine makes me
2: want to drool on myself. I mean, really, that's there's a ton
1: of acid in that last. This is long. ripping
2: Cabernet. Yes, right? I mean, they make Boss Cabernet at Chimarosa. I mean. There's three or four different labels. This was the fi- this was the one that I kind of splurged on. It was a little bit more expensive, but so is it
0: Cimarosa or Cimarosa? Cimarosa. Okay. It's Italian. They're okay. Italian family that yeah. owns it. But you're right, man. I'm
1: drooling practically. That's a lot of acid in there. Yeah, getting,
2: yeah. it's ripping tannin too. Ooh. I mean, this wine's dry. I mean, it's intense, which
1: is crazy to me because it the tannin is all there, but it's still compared to like a Barolo by any means or anything. Like it's still very oh. Is there, it's building now that the acid is going. It away. builds on the front. There it is. It's funny because I was drilling so much. I was like, "There's not really a lot of tan." Uh. <laughs> Yeah, this wine's or, got
2: power. It's got presence. I yeah, really wanted to, to put teeth. it in my damn wine cellar. So I have I have this the only way I can save wine is if I get it off uh, away from my house. Like I'd never be able to do what you do, Damian, and have like a big ass refrigerator in my house full of wine cuz I just drink the shit out of it. It also
1: helps when you have 10 cases of like random who knows what the fuck wines that you could just pull from all the time. There could be that, too. <laughs> but helps.
2: the reason for the, the reason why I have an off-site storage facility for my shit is so like, uh, I don't drink okay. it. And the, and the the moment that this happened to me is funny story. Um, I was alone on like a Tuesday night and like just sticking around. I had like three cases of wine at my house at the time. I, don't, I should have way more wine than three cases. But I had and three cases of some, of some gems. And uh, I was like, what should I drink tonight? And I had all kinds of good stuff, mediocre stuff and whatnot. And I was like, I had a 2000, 2010 Dominus, which I think was 100-point wine by both Spectator and Parker, by the way, which doesn't really fucking Not matter. Not really surprising. Maybe. But um, so I was like, I had this bottle of wine, expensive bottle of wine. And I was like, okay, I'm fucking drinking this. Like, I'm doing it. I'm pulling the trigger. It's just like it was magic in my hands when I pulled it out. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do it. And I'm alone. So, I, first of all, no one got to experience that bottle of wine with me. Um, and I drank the whole damn thing. And when I got done drinking it, I was I had this moment where I was like, number one, that wine's way too fucking young. It was like nails on my palate. <laughs> and then I was like, and also no one got to experience it. And so I was like, okay, I need to get this stuff away from myself. So...
0: See, for me, I don't drink wine by myself very often. Being in sales, also, I always had extra bottles. I always had sample bottles. I'd come home with wines. How many times I'd used to stop by your house on the way home. Drop them off. And either drop them off and be like, hey, let's just drink these, because once I get home, I'm done drinking. I'm he, finished.
1: He was my Mr. Rogers, basically. He'd be like, knock, 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 knock. Yeah. Damien's here. Damien's here the Brunello. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. But I
0: think being in this, the, the wholesale business and the rep business, I always had... 10 open bottles in my bag on any given day. So I came home and I didn't want to drink or pop any bottles. And they just kind of started building up and building up and building up. And I'm like with you, I like to share wine. The amount of times I've gone to a restaurant even, bought a bottle of wine, poured myself that much, and sent it down the bar to people I don't even know. And just to see the reactions of them trying a great Brunello, Barolo, something they have never had before, that means a lot to me. I think yeah. for me, sharing wine is the magic thing about wine than just drinking it.
2: Well it's the affirmation too. It's like so fun to like drink wine with someone and like you throw out like a descriptor or something like that. Or you talk about the texture of the wine or whatever, and then like someone like there's like an emotional connection you have with the person across from you and yeah. they're like, Yeah, I get that. And that affirmation is really important for the wine drinking experience, in my opinion. Because if you're alone and you're drinking it, you can be like, Yeah, this is fucking good and this is awesome, and you can really enjoy a bottle of wine alone, but there's also not that like camaraderie and like that moment where people are like yeah, I get that, too. Like, could you smell that under, underneath there? Plus, you're right.
1: What, you know what, what if mean? you open up a banging bottle of wine and you're like, dude, and then
2: you look around mm. and it's, like, oh,
1: fuck, there's nobody around me, oh, so now I've yeah. just got this awesome bottle of wine. It's like having those moments where, like, you guys, this is amazing. This is all that thing happened. Everybody stares and you go, well, you had to have been there. i
0: like, well, cool. We weren't, so, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> and it is great throwing out descriptors at each other, though you can kind of screw each other, too, because sometimes someone throws something out and then you can't get past it. I mean, that happened at a trade show we went to on Monday where I was like, oh my God, this smells like fresh horseradish. And the girl behind the table literally was like, she's like, that's all I smell now. Thanks, Damien.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, sometimes um, a wine that is semi one dimensional, when you, when you rock out a descriptor like that, that's all you can think of. You can't help but like have a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. And like if someone mentions like, oh, this smells like gooseberries. Well, then that's all you're ever going to smell from that wine. And a lot of the time, like no knock on New Zealand. Love the wines of New Zealand, but those wines are chock full of piercing and they they taste like gooseberries and grapefruit all the time.
0: It's the first. Wine, you can train somebody to blind identify. Like
2: I wish, like I was on a blind tasting for like my master sommelier, and they like poured me fucking New Zealand Saviano. I was Mons. gonna I say the, like, other, yeah. the only other that one that easy. I figured would
1: like every time we have a Chilean wine, there's always a jalapeno known there because most of the yeah. times I know they're throwing stems in that are you know underripe or whatever. And, but still,
2: and yeah. Carmenere has that too if it's Carmenere. Like really? Car- they, the Carmenere is a, a late ripening variety that will maintain a lot of like natural pyrazine and like it's green like that too. But there's something you're right, there's something about even about Cabernet grown in Chile that has that eucalyptusy. Yeah, thing. even when we drank that that what 12, 13-year-old bottle, mm-hmm. there was that little
1: bit just it was still in there. But it wasn't over-dominating, It kind of gave like a compliment to it versus it was just like, well, cool, thanks for the jalapeno drink. Like yeah. I don't
0: want that. <laughs> so you know, when you go back when you're in New York, say you're in New York City, people are drinking all sorts of wine. You're drinking everything, tons of imports, stuff from California, Washington, Oregon. When you're in Washington, you're drinking either Washington or Oregon. Oregon's drinking Washington or Oregon. In Hollow Mountain, do they just drink Napa Cab all the time? They're or? not allowed to. It's a religious. Are uh, you, well, not, or just an Anguin? You know, but. it's funny.
2: Having lived in Napa now three years, it's like I do find myself drinking Cabernet all the fucking time. And so it's like when I do shop for wine, which I normally don't shop for too much wine. A lot of wine is given to me living in Napa and, being, and working for a winery. But when I shop for wine, I go to Sonoma County and I buy all the Sonoma County stuff. It's half the price as well or even like a third of the price. Um, so I I try to not just get in the mode where I'm drinking Cabernet all the time. It's a little tough when you're you know, when you're getting gifted bottles of it, but to keep my palate well calibrated, I, I like to try to buy imports. I'm a member of a, f- a few little wine clubs that are just imported wines and stuff like that. And are
0: they wine shops that are doing this? With these or is it just like independent? So there's like- really
2: great restaurant in downtown Napa. It's called a tree. It's one. It's it's banging. If anyone's in in downtown Napa, go to a Notre. Uh, great sommeliers there as well. But they have this really super esoteric wine club and they're giving you four bottles of wine every quarter for like a hundred dollars. That's so cool. A restaurant I mean, does it. Super cheap too. It's badass. And all four of the wines like I guarantee, unless you're like a geek like Damien, you'd You'd like don't know what the grape variety is. I've like I'm I'm getting these things. I'm like, what is that, and where is it from? And the sommelier will come, who's a buddy of mine, and be like, yeah, this is from here. This is this. It's right next to volcano. Like that, that's like you can taste that in the wine. But like I have no idea what these wines are, and they're so incredibly strange, and I love it
0: remember uh, when i came to visit you in napa like a year and a half ago or so and i brought a lugana like, yeah, that's so like crazy like high this. acid white wine oh. from italy like that you've never had a lugana i never even heard of it yeah before. i was so excited i was so excited the shop had it and they had the reserve too i was like i'm buying this i gotta share it with thomas yeah. i love those
1: because the only time i've ever had a few of those opportunities i did the vitadillo uh with these like two vineyards left in spain they're the only ones <laughs> like because they're like 130 year old vines that can't propagate them so like this thing's gonna die and that's it and I was like, I got one. I finally got one that none of you have ever had. Slam that <laughs> ball down. And dude, it was a 10-year-old thing. And my mouth was just ripped out. It was the most tannic wine I think. It was like right along like a Tanat, basically. Or like a and sa- it was uh, Sagrantino, Sagrantino or like And it was, it was, it was like delicious. We were like, dude, this is so good. This is <laughs> I, but I was like, that's so fun to get the really obscure little stuff. Is there anything on How Mountain where you got like the one vineyards like, hey, check this out. I got this one grape that we've had up here for a long. We have a Sangiovese out of nowhere. It's I don't know, know if like there's any. Super,
2: I don't know if there's any super esoteric up on Howell Mountain, man. There's not much of that in Napa. Period. Charbono is the one that's like heirloom.
1: I've seen uh, like right? Viognier's got a couple vineyards, but I know like I has the one. But I've seen a. I saw a Sangiovese one. I can't remember. It was like maybe a. People grow Luchier.
2: Sangiovese in Napa. Is it normal? Because yeah. I saw I mean, the, one the, the I staglin, tried it. The Staglins grow Sangiovese. There's some small producers that, I know Silverado does a Sangiovese. There's some Sangiovese grow. I mean, it,
0: it makes sense wanting to drink some other stuff too once in a while. I mean, think about it. If you're an Italian living in Italy, you come to America. You don't want to eat Italian food.
2: It's funny though. It, yeah, that's, that's totally the truth. When Well, you definitely you, don't want Just like eat. you're
0: visiting here and you're like, man, we went out for Thai food the other night. Went to here. We're going to all these other restaurants that yeah. we don't necessarily get in Napa proper area.
2: Oh No, when I come here, I eat Mexican food. I understand. Like I want dirty Sonoran Mexican food.
0: We got a lot of Mexican food here. Yeah. I live on Taco Row. That's yeah. got to be tough too, especially being in Napa. There's only
1: a couple restaurants, and everybody's slinging What's funny for the is most like expensive stuff. Napa staff.
2: is like, fuck, it's like 80 percent Mexican. Like everyone's Mexican in Napa because that's like any wine. By the way, props, uh, props to the Mexicans and the Hispanic people. Every wine that you have ever tasted in Napa Valley is is been touched by Hispanic hands. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to celebrate that number one, but. Being that it's 80% Mexican population there, you'd think there would be some good Mexican food in Napa Valley. Right? It's like don't they different. Have, they don't have like Filibertos pot- or Julio or Alobertos or Marco Berto's or no, any other. There's Berto's. no Berto's. <laughs> right? So <laughs> See they, they <laughs> don't know how to have their hangover. The Mexican in Napa. food there is different because it's 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 um the Mexicans that live in Napa Valley are not from Sonora. They're from like Guadalajara and Jalisco and stuff like that. So the cuisine is just different. It's not that it's bad. It's like I'm used to eating like dirty burritos and like I'm used to Sonoran food. And so I think that's Mexican food, but their Mexican cuisine is different. So I don't enjoy it as much as I enjoy it when I come down here. I love the Mexican food in Arizona.
1: Plus it's probably way California more expensive to start a restaurant out in that, that general that's just area. Like you
2: can't, you can't really do that. Yeah. That's another point. reason why we had a conversation earlier about, um, how Napa doesn't have like the middle price tier. Of course, they have fast food because that's corporately owned and they can lose money Pol- for many years. And, and some Applebee's. Right. <laughs> but that middle of price point quality, quality and price point food does not exist in Napa Valley. And especially Mexican food. Like, you can't have a great Mexican restaurant because, like, you can only charge so much for a plate of enchiladas.
1: Yeah.
2: And, like, you could sell a thousand tacos and a thousand enchiladas and a thousand burritos and you're not going to pay your rent. Like and so yeah. Napa Valley is kind of uh, pigeonholed into, into doing fine, like expensive cuisine only, and so for the locals that sucks because like you sometimes just want like a burrito. <laughs> I don't want to have to go to like a Thomas Santa Keller Rosa. restaurant for yeah. lunch and pay and spend a hundred dollars. So we have this disparity in Napa Valley of like affordable good cuisine because of how expensive it is to have commercial real estate there. So like. You'd never be able to have a good little Thai restaurant or like a good Mexican restaurant. They just don't charge enough for that cuisine. And Our, the
1: irony would be if you had a Thai or Mexican or Italian Thai restaurant, it'd be so high end. It's just, it's a right. whole other way. Well, it's Keller, like the dirty stuff that we get. Keller out just here. opened a
2: new Mexican restaurant in downtown Yonkville. It's called La Calenda and it's really damn good. And I, and I, and I loved it when I went there. Um, but do I see it surviving long term? Well, Thomas Keller has a lot of financial backing and with the whole, you know, his restaurant group and everything like that. But, can they survive in downtown Yountville, serving tacos and burritos?
0: If you start, if,
2: if your bottom line is red right after two years, you're gonna close. Doesn't matter how much
0: financial backing you have. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. What about? Are there any food trucks? Is that Food a thing? truck.
2: The food truck is a thing in Napa Valley, although it's um it's not as prevalent as it is here. But yeah, that's something that's definitely emerging. And there's a lot of good food trucks. And a lot. And there's actually like some really good tacos and stuff in these food trucks too. So that's because I could see that being a nice. You know,
0: bridge to bring in that good cuisine where you don't have to have a brick and mortar. You could just set up. And especially if you have a winery that's uh, an outgoing winery that's down to put up, up to the winery. that Down to have a food truck out front still. Yeah. But here's one thing. I mean, as great as that is, and you can pull up to cr- the winery itself... It's not like the food truck's going to want to drive up Howl Mountain and slink and for the day. And it kind of looks shady when you have this like multi-million dollar winery that's just gorgeous and then you have like... The food truck. Rand rolls up. Rand food truck. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Randy. <laughs> One of our good buddies is actually opening a food truck called Rand Dizzles. Rand Yeah, he was a, a quench rep. Uh, he was a rep for a local distributor here and he just left to start his own food truck. That's cool. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Wish him all the success. Yeah, you know, it's, this town isn't quite the same as, say, someplace like San Diego or uh, Colorado. Colorado's huge on food trucks. There's just not a lot of places that support them yet here. There's not en- enough beer bars and wine bars and places that allow them to set up. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, if we could add one more, it'd
0: be fantastic. Ma- maybe. We'll see what happens. See what happens. If, if there's a parking spot for them. Yeah, maybe two.
2: So this out of the three wines is the only one that's not, um, it's not Cabernet. Well it's mostly Cabernet. It's seventy five percent Cabernet, but the winery Bravante um, doesn't put Cabernet on the label of this is wine. Seventy five percent or eighty five percent. Seventy five is the law okay. in Napa. But this one Where, Where's this, my cork? <laughs> this wine this year is seventy five percent cab. No, that's not what
1: we we're talking about. We were talking about AVAs. So you'll know this. Okay. That's right. Where is that? We have
0: a psalm here. He'll
1: Okay. So if it were to say cab, it has to be seventy five percent, but for mm-hmm. it to say the A V A, Howl Mountain, Vita, whatever, I said it has to be ninety five percent. I think it's ninety five, bro. Where's that cork?
2: <laughs> we better cork on it. <laughs> I think it's ninety-five.
1: I like it. See, that's all I wanted to hear. All right, feel a little valid. If it says a state, that. it
2: has to be 100% 100% for a hundred percent state. A state. Yeah, oh, so okay, so a state but reserve. isn't there an 85 in there somewhere?
1: I thought 85 and was California to say Napa Valley yeah. versus Oakville,
0: Rutherford. Walla Walla is in other parts of the country, there's a little stricter rules, but I'm not quite sure. Yeah, and gotta, vintage gotta, is
1: like 90, this. 95 to say 90. Or vintage to, is
2: 95, right? 95 also, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, got, I got my level. They cheat on that. All these winemakers cheat on that, by the way.
0: I got my level one SOM 12 years ago and haven't really studied it in depth since. And then I got my CSW also 12 years ago. Yeah. And after that, Italian, Italian, Italian. I'm a
2: little cloudy on all the wine laws now. Though. I don't study that stuff. I, I should get a little sharper. Dude, sharp it's wrong, so but.
0: fluid. It moves every day. They just
1: handed down two Supreme Court rulings that allow how you label your bottle. And the other one allows for shipping across the entire country. They basically said anybody from a store. I mean, this is the big one. Stores, not just wineries. Stores can ship across the country now. And that every state has to come into compliance. So 23 wow. states were not. It's great for consumer. The problem is, is here's what the states are going to do is they're going to sit there and say, well, fine, we're going to charge you a thousand dollars to sell into our state. So they're just going to pass a state law that stops people from selling in because the price will be ludicrous. Wow. Or they do. A, I think it was Washington. They just gave up on it. And went, You know what? Fuck it. Everybody does whatever they want now at this point. Well
2: eventually, well, eventually it'll go that route anyways, because the internet's just too powerful to try to control anyways. Yeah. So. Well,
1: we actually have, uh, our, my wineries had cease and desist from a couple states because people weren't paying the taxes on it. So mm-hmm. we've had to work payments out with how we pay it. So we take the state's tax up front and then repay it back later on.
2: Taste this one. It's 13 vintage. You can you can smell and taste the age so, a little bit.
1: So here's my thing with Howell Mountain, because I know a lot of floor is, you know, all muscle car. It's all there up front. It hits big and then it mm-hmm. falls apart after a couple of years. And you're like, well, that sucks. How Mountain, what do you, like for you, for all the how you drank, where do you think it's like a prime drinking age? Is this something that's approachable to people now? Or are you like, you guys, you have these to These wines, this are, 10 uh, years? in my opinion,
2: are a little bit too young to be drinking. I, I don't know. I, I think Napa Valley in gener, general, no matter where you're growing the grapes, um, I think 8 to 10 years old is the, the strike point for these wines. And I say that because like my personal palate says that I don't like wines that taste 20 years old that have lost fruit and are just earthy. Yeah, oh yeah. So I like I like a combination of, of um, big beautiful fruit. I like a fair amount of acid, and um, I like the tannin to be subside uh, to subside a little bit. So I like a wine eight to ten. That's my preference as my palate speaks. But there's some people that love old wine taste, and they like a, a wine that's 20 years old that will yeah. evolve quickly in the glass and like change all the time. Okay. So that's one cool thing about old wines is that they change a lot in the glass
1: i've had a couple from mountains and uh we had that one when we did the 21 nova party we found most of everything Sucked, with the exception of the Philip Tony.
2: It's it's producer to producer, and, and Philip Mountain and too. Philip Tony is is a is a producer that is renowned for producing wines that are better when they're old. It's like Randy Dunn on Howl Mountain.
1: Like, yeah, I always hear Dunn is just like one Dunn of the is most fantastic. Backward.
2: It's backward though; you can't drink a brand new vintage of Dunn like it's gonna rip your face off. Yeah, <laughs> but twenty years in, like, there's nothing that drinks better almost than a, than a Howl Mountain Dunn and wine.
0: And they do a disservice though, because then the the reps get the new vintage, they sell it to a restaurant. You're a sommelier at a restaurant, mm-hmm. and you have an option to buy one vintage current release and now you right. buy it and now are you confident selling that to your customers
2: you know it's funny too i was just speaking about this and about the arizona market and like the the clientele here and how they like drink their wines like they don't really they don't really care so much and they drink things so young and uh, so like to a restaurant tour um, if they're just trying to make money and like stay afloat and and uh, dollars and cents they don't really care like i'll i'll buy the current vintage of plump jack it's 2017 like drink it tomorrow um, but if you're a restaurant tour that really cares about the experience and like the long term of your uh, restaurant operation and like having clientele for many many years then you would procure in my opinion you'd procure a list that's more carefully um, selected upon when the wines are, are ready to drink but i mean a
0: lot of people just do you don't think know. we'll see that
2: like I, like at some
1: point sometime with all these older wineries they'll start flinging out 10 12 year old vintages and then people will pick it up put it on a menu cuz i rarely see the the 10 year old well, it takes oh, work, it takes work uh, for
2: it takes work for a sommelier to do that. They have to dig deep, but like a, a good sommelier, I think also will will look for those like wines that have age on them. They might even pay a little bit of a premium to the distributor that a, gets that. But
0: a lot of different winemakers will do library releases. Mm-hmm. A lot of the Italians do that, where they will keep thirty percent of their vintage back and then they'll release it in five years. Yeah, Forgogna. Yeah. Oh, Domilano, remember? We had yeah. the 99s that they released, you know? I mean... Doesn't Mayakama's do that, too? For every Maya, year they release their
1: 10-year before? Yeah, they're uh-huh. notorious for that. Which is Great awesome, wines, by, by the, the way. way. We just had, what, the 09 the other day? It was fucking delicious.
2: Mayakama's one of the greatest tours, too, if you ever get to nap yeah, and get Did it? Did it not burn tour. down? It got close. Um, I think, like...
1: Because I called them, and they were like, we're closed for now. They almost and burnt
2: down. They didn't burn down, but I think a, like... Maybe their tasting room or something. I think that's what it was because we down. couldn't go. They were like we. we the can't... winery was intact though.
1: Okay, were you? Uh, you were in Napa at the time. You were down in. Uh... I was there for the fires. You were in Oakville, or were you? In... You were living. In... I was living in Napa, but I Proper. was working in Oakville. Okay, yeah, it was
2: yeah. funny. Like during the fires, which I hate talking about because I got asked about it every single day for years. Um, Tell us about it. But, but I don't want. To, I don't want <laughs> to get into the fire. But what was crazy was that I would wake up in the morning and go outside to get in my car to go to work, and I'd have like an inch layer of ash on my car. That's crazy. It was intense, man. It was an intense time.
0: So did you see... Something we've talked with Sean Tevick about is smoke taint versus uh, bug bug smoke taint. Bug
2: smoke taint. What number one everyone needs to realize about 2017 and the fires was that 95% of Napa was already harvested. It was already picked. And everything in Sonoma County was pretty much picked. And all Pinot and Chardonnay had been picked months before. So most of it didn't have any smoke taint. There was some like Hal Mountain wasn't picked though most of Hal Mountain, but the smoke didn't get up there. Um, so like Hal Mountain, generally speaking, is about two weeks behind the valley floor in terms of harvest um, because it's colder up there. That's another one. So they past. were mostly not picked city. on Hal, but the wines don't seem to have any smoke taint at all.
0: It was something that uh, I read about a lawsuit recently in New York where the distributor was supposed to take a certain amount of cases of this vintage of wine, and they turned it down. They said the wine is all smoke-tainted, but they're like— Well, there's a way to prove that. It was all
2: Well, there's a way to prove that, and, and I'm, I'm sure this is how like the court case would have gone down, is that you can test it per parts per million, and if it's over the threshold where a human— or under or over the threshold where a human being can actually detect it, that would be like the decision on <laughs> that one.
0: Have you ever heard of earwig taint?
2: I don't like earwigs.
0: I don't either. They freak me out from camping and stuff like that. They yeah. used to get my tent because they got those pincers in like the back. They I love, love the, the, they love the desert legs. out
2: here. I don't see them too much in there. Uh, so, yeah. so
0: something we learned from Sean Tevick on the first time he was on the show was that when the smoke would come to the vineyards, the earwigs actually would leave and climb up into the bunches. And a, lot of, a lot of producers didn't have the time to get them out. So they, <laughs> the would, they, they would actually yeah. ferment it. And so, and then the wine would be sold as smoke taint, but it wasn't smoke taint. It was actually earwig taint. He has earwig taint bottles at home that he's going to bring over and taste us that's on. That's fucking disgusting. Dirty ashtray. He goes. The, the, the difference between it's like smoked meat and dirty
2: ashtray. He goes. If you taste a wine and it smells or tastes like dirty ashtray, that's actually earwig taint. Do you know the, the most smoky ashtray wine I've ever tasted? Nineteen eighty three Cheval Blanc. Really. Straight up ashtray. menthol huh. Mentholy ashtray. And it was fucking, <laughs> it was scintillating though. It was awesome, but it that's was the, so weird. Cheval I, Blanc. I, and you know what the best wine I've ever tasted in my life is? Ooh, hi. the 1982 Cheval Blanc, fucking lights Isn't that out. Is that the one that everybody goes crazy about? No, 82 Cheval wasn't the one. Like 82 Bordeaux vintage We're people like, like, went. 47
0: Cheval was like the holy. 47 Cheval. And Why is it always 61? 61, 61, 61 Latour. But that's uh, that's Bordeaux, right?
2: 82 Cheval Blanc. Fuck.
1: That's the
0: one. He just That's got like wine. all squinty eyed and stuff. Cool. Best wine that. I've ever tasted, man. <laughs> Damn, oh man! God. I've never so I've I've
1: been obviously blessed with trying a lot of cool wines, but I've never had that one where I sat there and I was like, I, I didn't pull a Damien where I just shut the fuck up for twenty minutes and went, no, I'm just gonna enjoy this. What's okay, the I,
2: best wine you've ever tasted in your it's life? It's tough to say. I mean, I'm you know I'm, this is I'm, a funny question. It's like best. I hate I hate the fucking term best. Because like, the best for me. What's that? What's your eighty two Chevrolet Blanc for? Yeah.
0: For me, sometimes the best wine isn't always what's in the glass. It's who I'm sharing it well, with. That's definitely and the that, case. And that sometimes makes it taste even better. I'd say one of the wines that made me go holy shit in life was actually a uh, Damilano Canubi. Yeah.
2: And it's a great you know
0: you, you know I've been a. Uh, a lover of Barolo for many, many, many years and a big collector of Barolo. And usually I would buy my six packs. I'd drink a bottle. I'd say, that's tannic as hell. And I'd put the rest of them down for eight years. And I remember drinking that first ever uh, 08 Kanubi. And I went, oh my God. I, I domed the bottle myself that night. And then I opened a second bottle, and I started knocking on neighbors' windows. <laughs> and they thought I was- You friend. gotta taste this. I lived, in, I lived in an apartment complex that had, like, 10 people. And I'm, like, <laughs> knocking on doors, like, in boxer shorts and a bottle of wine. Like, no, 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 you have to try this right now.
1: That's the best kind of crazy, is when somebody knocks on your door at 2 in the morning, they open up, you are like, drink this. Like, okay,
0: well, I'm not getting murdered, so sure. <laughs> I, I've been exposed to some old Rieslings that are very memorable in yeah, my that life that, that really, really good wine. transcended everything. But I think also that was the people I was with, it was the food we were having- you know, I'm I'm having Thai food with old vintage single vineyard Donhoff. Mm-hmm. There's something special about that. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of the old wines I've had have not been good. You know, Bordeaux. We always say Bordeaux sometimes gets a free pass. You're like, well, I'm drinking a 1968. So
2: on the uh, for the record, though, I, I I like California wines better than French wines.
0: That's really cool, actually. Yeah, I, I, it's rare to find some of that because
1: I know but a lot of people.
2: It's funny because I, I guess I, I I speak that in, in the fact that like california is so blessed with weather like that out of 10 years they might have like one chip vintage yeah well, right? the last one was 11 so the wines are so consistently good all the time 11 right they're so good all the time so the the breadth and width of the california wine industry i think is better than france france and bordeaux they might have like out of 10 years they might have like three good vintages out of 10 years and kind of like seven mediocres or like Five mediocres and, and uh, two shit. shitties, and but when they get it right in Bordeaux, for fuck's sake, it's awesome. That's it's awesome. Of, yeah. So they the, at the very peak of it all, I think that Bordeaux does at the very peak. Maybe so produce overall better
1: overall consistency. California is, but overall consistency.
2: Here. Like I want to drink California wines, man. They're amazing. They're amazingly consistent, and there's no Brett in these wines. These wines are clean, and their cellars are clean, and. Um, studies and like what we know about winemaking in both regions, actually we've proven that like California wines use less chemicals and less sulfur and less things to protect from bacteria because we're clean. Like our equipment is clean as uh, shit. Sure. Like, like that it's cellar I soja
0: at Argiano where they told me, like, don't touch the walls, you'll get syphilis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean that wall
2: they use they use they use much more than Hepatitis much D. More God.
0: That's interesting, yeah, because I
1: guess technically, like, if, especially because everything's being built new, it's not like this family's had a cellar for, I mean, how long? Like, Chimarosa, how long have they been around?
2: You know, they, they have a beautiful at estate and they have a vineyard, but they, they custom crush their wine and they make it out layered. Okay. On the belly floor. So a lot of these
1: places have a crazy, OSHA-driven, you know, have-to-have-everything-clean style wineries. Plus, I imagine with... Right, yes, there's the government regulation not crazy. That, that cares about
2: and the humidity's
1: not. not as much, I imagine, as parts of France would be. Napa's least. dry as fuck, dude. There's no humidity. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. So you don't, have, don't have like any a crazy rot, amount of room rot issues. To go. Yeah.
2: And there's no yeah, there's not a lot of like mildew and like mold and like it's or bacteria that are growing in the cellars. So um
0: True. You start going over to Europe and some of these cellars have been infected for fifty years, sixty right. years, hundred years with different types of bacteria, molds, yeah. all sorts of stuff. And you know, so, no, it's actually affecting your barrels and your wines.
2: And I mean, I, like I said before, though, I mean, like the pinnacle and the peak of what they do in, in Bordeaux at, at the very top vintage, I think, outdrinks most things. But
0: I mean, I've been, I've been lucky to have but... some great burgundies with, you know, up at Atlas Bistro with Marty. Mm-hmm. You know, Marty opened a, a mid-70s vertical of Eschezo uh, or something one time, and it was all like 71, 72, 73, 74, 75, and it was just, I mean, those wines were stunning.
2: But this brings me to another really cool uh, question. It's I don't know if it's for cool or not, but I love this question too. So I like it when he's asking. If you were to eliminate every fucking category of wine besides one, I mean, one region and one style of wine, and have just that one to drink for the rest of your life, what would you do? For me, for me, it's white Burgundy, I think. But champagne is really good too that way. Oof, that's, I don't that know. Fuck me up was the champagne. White part. white Burgundy though at its elite level for me those wines are so transformative. So it's
1: basically, like, if if the world falls apart and there's only one region, one region it, left. My would might be actually the Piedmont region you
2: fuckers are always about but, Barolo but see, I swear see, to god my, but, I, mean, I get but, but it I get for, it it's for me, amazing
0: the question I asked was a similar question it was always if you were trapped on a desert island you could drink one wine the rest of your life what would it be well that's the same question that would actually, but, if that was desert, the case des- it'd
1: actually be champagne cause because I would drink champagne. you could drink
0: bubbles but all fucking but day it's long long. desert island because so now you're dealing with uh, like, tropical weather I don't want to drink Barolo on the fucking beach and when it's 90 <laughs> degrees out that yeah. does not this brings th- in different that sounds fucking miserable so I
2: would and when you say I don't like sparkling wine I'm not talking California. just about Piedmont I like one uh, like one style of wine so, so Barolo would, be your, uh, well, would no. be your game
1: no it wouldn't I, I think you nailed it with the champagne I love sparkling wine
2: I really do Dude, it's and my and favorite and, and at an elite level I wish yeah. I could afford like badass champagne all the time but like well, I, would, I, I got, would drink a bottle of Krug so, every day I got
1: really yeah. lucky uh, <laughs> I, I have a lot of friends who work for certain uh, brands whether it's the uh, I can't think of the portfolio but it's like you know Krug and Runard. Uh James. Awesome. It's, it's in your drawer yeah, but that's not the, it's the, it's the portfolio. It's that uh, Diageo. That's the, por- yeah. So it's Vov Cliqueau and these other ones. And it's find to try a lot oh, of those. Nice. But like, we got lucky enough with Skernick having that, uh, the growers, or was it a special the club? Champagne. Yeah, the that stuff. special yeah, club. That stuff's so good. Dude, we had, we opened one up for Thursday Night Football for mm-hmm. the Packers-Chicago's game. Then I, I put it up on our Instagram and took the pictures. And I was just, I really, it was the only time I ever looked at all four of my friends and they went, Fuck you, I'm not giving any more of this. I'm drinking this
0: when you're not I want all of this all day. So, Desert Island wine for me, honestly, yeah. try Riesling. Just Bone dry Riesling. From where?
2: Just Germany? Like that Govex uh, shit? Yeah, that I'm, Columbia I'm, Valley made specifically by and
0: Chateau Saint-Michel. I wish I could break down the region of Germany better. I mean, I'm also a big fan of a lot of different Gruners. But, I, dude, I don't know, man. For I kind of dr- I, I love dry
2: Riesling. I don't... Come I on, love bro. old dry Riesling. It, old dry Riesling is so freaking good. Over like fucking Leflev, Batard Montrachet, or something like that. Come on, bro.
1: I don't know white burgundy enough. I've had like so here's five something. in so, my so, life. So I, don't, I
2: don't pretend to know a shit little about burgundy. So either. maybe that's it
0: too. Is, okay, okay, um, you're right. The one wine I would never kick out of my bed would be like, like Grand Cru, like Chablis. Okay, there you Ooh, go. Chablis Burgundy, back
2: really to Burgundy. Too. Yeah, you're right. No, so I never it's knew. It's weird. we well, well, talking French. Yeah, I never knew a French. lot about Burgundy or white Burgundy. Even I knew. I knew a little bit about the, about the red stuff, but I, I never really understood white Burgundy until uh, Burgundy until I took over the wine list at Bourbon Steak, which was originally formed by Raj Parr. And everyone that knows Raj Par knows that he's like a birdhound, yes. right? He loves Burgundy, and so I—I uh, inherited. Quickly, was he
1: a master psalm? Never. No,
2: I, I don't know. think I don't well, he, was he ever got, got a psalm. He wasn't a psalm
0: at
1: all. You he know, was... he had so much
2: talent, and like he had, yeah. so, he had like the ability in blind tasting to be like, oh, this is seventy-eight, fucking whatever. Oh, he was just so like, good. He was just like, 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 like photographic, okay, type cool. stuff. Because everybody knows the name, I just didn't. So know. So he care, built this list at Bourbon Steak with all this fucking Burgundy, and we know that Arizona is not necessarily the most like Burgundy, sophisticated market, right? We like we like Napa Cab a lot in Arizona. So all this, I had all this white burgundy that was all like super expensive and aged and like all these little small producers, but also like LaFleve and, and I mean, DRC and all this Ravenaux. stuff. And Rab- mm. Raveneau and all this great stuff. Never had any of these. Yeah, yeah. Raveneau is transformative. But, um, so <laughs> I, I had the chance to like have this list of like 10 to 15 year old or even 20 year old white burgundy top level stuff to Grand Cru for relatively affordable price because we hadn't raised the prices on the list. And I got to pour a lot of that. And I had like really generous clientele that, that were like, here, here's a glass. And they like poured me like a monster glass and I'd go back and share it with the chef. But like, I got to taste the most incredible white burgundy that no one would ever be like $600, $800 bottles of white burgundy. I'm telling you, man. Fuck. It, it was it's that good.
0: way. It was that way hanging out with Atlas uh, so, and when Marty brought in uh, Marty stuff. Marty brought and all, and all that stuff. There in, and
2: it's just so good. There, though, there, were,
0: there were nights when I stopped into Atlas and I'd walk in there and, and I'd be like, hey, is Todd here? No. And be, just be Marty by himself. And I'd be like, is Todd here? No, he, he left. Well, is the chef here? No, he left. Is anybody here? He goes, no, I have a key. You want to sit down and drink some burger with me? Yeah. So cool. <laughs> and then I'd sit there until 2 in the morning and drink insane burgundies with him. And I wish I took pictures of him because a lot of that stuff, I was not well-versed. Yeah. So I don't know a lot you're, of stuff You're I drinking like coachter
2: and shit, like crazy burgundy. Leroy. It's Leroy. It's impossible to get. Yes. Leroy. Stuff Incredible. That, but, stuff that
0: nobody yeah. can get. You know, Those wines are so good. The yeah. state of
2: Arizona gets three bottles a year. Right. That's, it's less and less too with the Chinese market. Y- yeah, involved. I was gonna
1: say you're, spar- you're, uh, you're speaking Chinese to me right now. But, but
0: I will say though, you're right. Uh, being a good friend, you're quick to call me out of my bullshit.
2: <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, I love Riesling too, man. Like Riesling would be like up there with me too. Top five categories. Is that like when you too. say I love music? you like off the sweet like stuff. the Beatles and things. But I like I mean, the sweet fucking stuff. Fucking no. You know, what's I'm, your? You know, I'm a your, dead and fish yeah. fan still. Like yeah. I like Auslays, and I like the sweet stuff at a high level. Like all that, all that Terry Thies. Like oh man, there's some. I love all that reasoning.
0: But you are right though. Like there's some of the best wine I've ever had. I remember sitting in Milan drinking Raveno one night with somebody and da- and Dagano so and good. but the Raveno we were drinking, we were drinking their premier and up.
2: Yeah. Like the, the yellow wax the yellow wax cap that's like impossible oh. to get off. Yeah. Of.
0: That's fair. I want cause if you were to ask beer
1: drinkers like what they would do, they'd probably say more light beers because if you're like, well, I don't want to drink a hazy IPA every day of my entire life, if that's the only thing I could drink.
2: See, I can't drink like heavy duty IPA all the time though. Like 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 it's just, it's heavy, you know. Like I wanna yeah. s want a session with some stuff, you know what I mean? I want to drink. Pilsner's and the I think like I would like Colch's
0: a, a and lot. And that shit just makes you drunk as hell now, too. Like they're yeah. like 10% alcohol. You, you like drink when you want to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Can. There's a few Napa wines that make me do that, though, too. Yeah. I do appreciate the, the alcohol levels on these because they're be, restrained, aren't they? They are. You know, I have a, my biggest problem with Napa wines is they release too young. Mm-hmm. and you say, oh, well, these are great after six to ten years. A lot of people aren't holding on to them for six to ten years. Right. And I've been to release parties up in Napa, and they're like, oh, it's 2018, and now we're just releasing our 2017s. You're like, "Ready? Mm-hmm. Like, did you just put that immediately into a barrel and hope it soaked it all up with extra staves in there? And that's one of my big problems with Napa is just they released too young. If they had rules more like Barolo, where they couldn't release till the spring of their fourth year. That would change the whole thing. It really would. It would suck for them the first four years, but mm-hmm. I think their wines would be so much more appreciated even more on a global scale.
2: I think so too. It's funny to see Europeans come to Napa and then taste our wines and, and like be like the fuck? Huh. Like these are cool and they're interesting and I want to taste them because they're not what I'm used to drinking, but they don't love them.
1: Well one thing because I was reading too, the other Because day. they're
2: too young. Yeah. And they're too harsh.
1: Well, one thing I was reading recently was a lot of Coopers are starting to have problems with people buying their barrels, whether it's a slowdown and everything, but the fact of the matter is, is people are running away from using 100% new oak on every oh, single all the, thing. All the
2: amazing did. wineries that I've been fortunate enough to be involved with since I've been to Napa Valley, they're, they almost mimic each other in terms of their barrel program, the ones I've worked for, and that, that they're a third brand new oak, a third second turn, and a third three-year oak. And yeah. then they, they recycle the barrels afterwards, or they have a couple of neutral barrels well, too. Like, but I think you're most of to them see, aren't 100 new French anymore.
1: Once you get those older generations of winemakers who were in the Parker time, that oh, I got to go for the 199 eight ninety eight points, and they were all like, "Well, that our neighbor got it. Why is our neighbor getting it when our vineyards are touching? So I got to do what he's doing to get these points." That world's over now, and everybody's yeah it's, yeah, it's
2: it's it's on its last, it's
1: the death throes. Number
2: one, number one Parker's not even tasting the wines anymore. Yeah, it's the death it's throes of the, the Parkerization,
1: ground. and now the I think in the next two years, the the playing field will be leveled out. And now you're going to have to see people who are actually like really smart about their wine drinking and everything to be like, dude, you got to try this clay like these. I've never heard of two of these sites. I've never heard of it. I've seen Neil a couple of times, but the Chimarosa. I don't distribute this
2: shit. Yeah, it's all direct to but consumer.
1: next time I go to Napa, I'm going there. Dude, I'm going to a You're going to Chimera. That is fantastic. It's amazing. And how do you say this? Braventine? Bravante. 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 Dude, that is one of the best, most acidic wines I've had from Howell Mountain. Yeah. It is honestly refreshing.
2: Like that's it's not delicious. a cab that I think is it's also. I, I think
0: it's also the fact that I mean, you could answer this possibly. Is it because it's the 13 vintage? And it already has six years of age.
2: Um, it's it's that, and it's the stylistic impression of the winemaker, like um, the, the style which he but, makes and, he, and the I, time in which he picks the grapes. And I'll
1: also say, like, again, like, yeah, uh, from someone who I drink a lot with my dad being the bigger stuff, because you're always there, we always drink and stuff like that. It's you drink these big, monstrous, oaky, over macerated stuff from the last few years. Like, he still has some silver oak in the and things. That refreshes my palate. And like that's nice. Like it's nice to have a cab that I don't drink and I go, "Well, thanks for the cocktail that I just drank." That these honestly, I I this is again, this is why when we talk, I always love mountain stuff cuz that is my favorite wine
0: right there and it's hard to get. I think also going back to the oak that we were just talking about, I think quality producers know that they don't need to hide anything. But right. when you have flaws in your wine, you want to use 300% oak on it because you You can hide all
2: the flaws. Well, I think the flaws are actually what makes makes wine interesting and pretty, and the more, I'm so glad it's changing. I'm so glad the Parker thing is changing, and the reason being is like when you have something, an opinion that controls the consumer market or several opinions, maybe Wine Spectator too, and that's controlling things. Then everything's tailored to that taste profile, and everything becomes monotone and tastes all the same. Yeah, and so I love the fact that that's going away, and then that producers can actually take a step back from cloaking their wine with things that make it taste one way, and they can let the vineyard speak for itself. And then we can actually be interested in these wines, and not just like taste oak all the time. Like they they become more transparent and interesting to the site. Because like for me, like world class wine, this has always been my thing. World class wine to me shows a sense of place. Like, if you drink it and you taste it and you say, that wine could have only been from that one place in the whole entire world, because that's the flavor of that place, then I consider that to be a world-class wine. And crazy enough, the irony is, is
1: I, I feel like
2: everybody could pick out Napa
1: Valley wine. Based upon how over macerated and how much oak is in the wine yeah. I hope versus, that goes away. versus the yeah. actual valley floor speaking. And by the way, it's not like this is one of those things where it's like, well, it's one massive hill and it's all the same. Like, dude, that is a crazy amount of what, like 30 different soils they have right. throughout Napa Valley. So everything's crazy different, which is really nice. And- I like to experience like with the uh, the Barberescos that we have from the Prodotore. When he poured me, it was three different bottles, and each one was not even remotely close to being the same thing. But it's all Nebbiolo. Mm-hmm. But if I'm drinking Cab, I'm with you on this. I think I would like to be able to think that I could tell you that that's mountain and that's floor, but I couldn't tell you that's Saint Helena though, and Rutherford or whatever. I could just say, "You gotta well, believe."
2: You gotta believe that that's coming. And we're and, and We're so and we're, we're, young. So, we're Still such a, young a young industry. We're such a young country in terms of uh, growing wines, and the more that we investigate these soils and we are true to the identity and come away from the consumer mentality of critics and and sales and we really focus on history and tradition. You'll see these wines become so unique and, and all these AVAs really that's what it was designed for in the first place is for us to be able to be able to delineate AVA to AVA and be able to taste that difference and it's coming. The oaks going away, um, and the con- the consumer is talking to each other one on one now. Um, with, through social media and like it's tra- more transparent and that's what i love about technology i love it
1: yeah i've got one for you uh if you had a vineyard that you absolutely loved and you were like it doesn't matter who makes it whatever i love that vineyard do you have one out there in napa because you've been you've been out oh, there for a while now and you've worked for a couple and i could think of some like names and things but for you if there was a site you were like i love that site that's the one
2: Yeah, a single vineyard. The thing is, is like, a lot of these places don't share that single vineyard with multiple wineries to be able to see that besides Tokalon, you know, like like there's...
0: you know, like Tocolon grows for a number of people but say somebody like you know like a Turnbull like that's their vineyard they're not sharing it yeah, with other people they sell like, a little
2: bit of the fruit um, Turnbull does to a couple producers like Maybach and um, well alright well in that others. case
1: even but, if it is a specific winery is there one thing where you're like it doesn't even have to be the best you're like I was really surprised by how this one vineyard site gave off this thing and you're like well, that it's memorable the first memorable thing that too. comes
2: to my mind in terms of that and it's the one that I think is maybe the most unique site in terms of the way it always translates its flavor through the wine is, is um, heights is Martha's Vineyard, unbelievable. And really? always the background note of this like kind of like minty menthol thing. Every every vintage doesn't matter how the wine's probably. And made. where is that? And they've changed winemakers site. over the year. It's in it's in Oakville. It's in Oakville. It's yeah. an it's in West Oakville, like behind Tokalon. First oh there. so
1: it's like kind of up against that what is that that the Vaca is the middle no, or is that the Maya? Comas? It's on it's
2: it's on the it's on the west side, so closer to the Maya Comas Mountains. Okay, there. and Vaca west is Oakville. the east side. East Oakville. Okay. So
0: first time I ever met Matias, you know Matias. Yeah, I
2: fucking love Matias, by the well, way. Shout I was, out to Matias. I was bart I was
0: bartending and it was a Friday night, we're five deep at the bar, and I see this hand above the bar with a bottle of wine and it's a bottle of Heights Martha's, yeah. and he's like this is drinking, perfect. I need a glass, I need a glass. And I'm like, first of all, you can't bring wine in here. He's like, no, 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 I need a glass. He goes, get one for yourself. And it was a bottle of Heights, and that I mean, Martha's. And that was actually one of the first times I ever had Martha's. Such beautiful
2: wine. And he, uh, props to Matias because he's, he's actually the one that exposed me to a lot of different vintages of Martha's. And um, he actually took me up here to Napa Valley. And I did a trip with Matias not so long, a couple of years ago. And we, we went to Heights and um, sat down. And this is before the sale went through. Heights is, is recently sold. So they're no longer owned by the the Heights family. I didn't know that actually. Um, they were they were purchased by a uh, farming family and company from like the mid or like the midwest or something like that. So it's still in a farming family, which is great. But yeah, Kathleen and all them they sold the winery.
1: Yeah, you always um, say it. didn't Grace family just sell too recently? Yeah, Grace sold uh, too. Everybody gets a check yeah, with I can't two extra that shit
2: zeros. <laughs> I love Grace, by the way. I can't afford that shit. Really? But that's one of the best wines in Napa Valley, in, really? in my opinion. Fuck Grace. I like family. that. Knock, knockout wine.
0: What's funny is coming into this show, I even told John, I'm like, John, you need to talk to Thomas more than... Because usually I do a lot of the talking. And I was like, you need to do a lot of talking because I don't know a lot about Napa. I've been so you gotta focused. you got to come up there with me, man. I, I do. You. Get up and there with me, man. got to go soon. Because I've spent so much time focusing on Italy for the last mm. seven years. I've spent more time in Italy than I have in Napa in my life. That's crazy. Mind blowing, it's right? It's so close, man. It's a hundred
2: and seventy dollars plane ticket,
0: round trip. Round trip, <laughs>
1: like, yeah. Round trip. Yeah, I know that because we, what we I could we could be in Napa in three hours if we wanted to get yeah. on a
2: plane, drive up there, and, and you can stay at my fucking house, so you won't have to like pay five hundred dollars for a yeah. hotel room. Yeah, so it's up. It, it, the Which is so funny, up.
1: by the way, because because uh, every time I take my dad there, the options are these three super high end hotels, or like that one dumpy one, the Three Palms, right? and they <laughs> always stay there every single Built time. Garden There's always one fight happening in the middle with some guy and her boyfriend because he drank too much. It's hilarious. I I do love Napa because there's two shitty dive bars right smack in the middle of it. The pool hall that's right there. Oh, Bilcos. Um, um, Bilcos, and then but they um, have such good beer there. They're like 30 dude, the beer packs. list is. Fantastic. Have great beer there. And then across that is a karaoke. Uh, it's like a Rula Bula style bar. Oh, Those guys um, that play so bands. C-
2: coming back to N- Matias on this bar um, that you're talking about, which is Downtown Joe's. Yeah. Uh, that's so it. Downtown Joe's. I love that place. So I always go there. We have this crazy day with Matias. Anyone that knows Matias. across like a cross he's, from salt. <laughs> Matias is fucking crazy. He's awesome. But he, he gets wasted and he has fun, uh, which is why we love him. Um, so we have this incredible day of tasting. I mean, we're drinking like abacus, like multiple vintages of abacus <laughs> with like the owners and stuff. Incredible day, and then we end up at end of the night at downtown Joe's and matthias, so th- th- this night is like the it's like a band night where there's like a band and everything. yeah, Matthias is a really good drummer. yeah, he's very good at drumming. so um we're always wasted having a really great time, and Matthias gets behind the drums, rips off his shirt, ties it around his fucking head. And like blows the place up and like rocks out for like two hours, man. And Matias is not 20 years old. Incredible though. That's the thing. Incredible. I mean, you would have had so that shit on tape. Blown
0: away Like, wait, what? Is this really happening? I should have
2: got that on tape, dude. I was too like invested dude, in like so bullshit. But.
0: I've actually had <laughs> so funny. I've had a ton of fun with that guy in Santa Fe, Santa Fe Wine and Cherry Festival. Like, <laughs> super that guy's everywhere. Matias. So what he does is he represents a bunch of top wineries from Napa Valley. He's a broker. All he's, he's, the, he's the
1: soul of the wine industry, the guy who is, you know, really good about us stuff, but when you want to party, that guy fucking parties. Yeah, and he's but awesome, dude. He's,
0: he, awesome. he's built these brands, and he's done such a good job of building brands. And so many people are just salesmen and car salesmen, and they're on to the next thing where he's actually truly built reputations yeah. of these His brands. His portfolio
2: is, is really awesome of the wines he brokers into Arizona. Um, he has the Plump Jack Caden Odette stuff, which does well on its own, anyways. He had but ZD, he had ZD, Frogs Leap, Martinelli, which yep. I love Martinelli wines. Um, Regina Martinelli. She's awesome. She is hilarious. One of the picture, funniest people I've ever met have, in my life. I have a picture of me and Regina on <laughs> Jackass Hill. Like, yeah. so, like straight so up. Is really it really called Jackass yeah. Hill? Jackass Hill. That's yep. awesome. They called it Jackass Hill because their, the their father that was farming it, like... No one would have farmed something that steep, and so they called it Jackass Hill, because oh, only a okay. jackass would farm something that fucking <laughs> steep. It's like the steepest vineyard in Sonoma County. It's like straight up and
0: Oh,
1: down. I figured Hidden Rage would have been my best,
0: yeah. Like, her business card says something like Queen Jackass or something yeah, like that. Like It's actually like her title. It's got some funny name. I got her card in the yeah. back. I'll pull it up. I remember that one, yeah.
2: And Matias Brokers Heights as well, and it's um, just great brands. Like, but he's, he's also built those into Arizona like really, really well, and props to his business. He's got a good business. Yeah. You know, it says, well, a lot about, of well, says
0: a lot about building brands. You know, we're talking about the internet and how it's so important to grow these brands. But at the end of the day, it's human interaction. Yeah, for sure. You know, sitting around drinking these wines with your friends, drinking them with your buyers, drinking them with sommeliers and actually enjoying them and not trying to chase the dollar. Yeah, yeah actually, that was a question I was going to ask for people who are out there and they want to, let's say you
1: end up like as a sommelier. Are you good with people walking? Yeah, no, that's bad. Chimorosa, The, the Chimorosa. Go yeah, these wines are long. knockout, but Chimorosa, dude. Chimoron's leading I, Crazy. The Neil is opening up nicely, by the way. Yeah. And the, I'm excited to try the Bravo Go Bravante. on with your question. I want to hear this. So you're roaming the floor, you know, making sure everybody's having their stuff. How, what is your comfortable level or good level where you will, instead of just walking to a table and doing the cork, coke and pour, where you're like, oh, I like these guys. I want to sit down and talk to them. Do you like when a guest sits there and says, hey, listen... I want you to pick a wine for me. And you're like, fuck, I don't know. Like now I got to go weird with it. Or do you yeah. like them to tell you like their story and then you can kind of figure it out? Well, like, what me, is it you want to hear well, as for me, a song?
2: For me, it's always, it's always asking questions and listening to responses. And so the first question I'd always want to immediately get out of the way so we don't have to dwell on it is like, well, what do you want to spend on the bottle of wine? Right.
1: Oh, uh, so price I comes in probably. So first I don't,
2: fest. yeah, I don't, I don't fool around with that because I don't okay. care. Like I want to know. Like, do you want something expensive as fuck or do you not care about price at all? Or do you want something cheap?
1: Yeah, because if I walk right? in and say, hey, listen, so I, I, I want to spend I 80 bucks a bottle. If
2: they say I don't care, that's, well, a, fun, that's a funny answer because like they do care. But they're just trying to cloak it with like, I have money, I don't care. Well, there's but, like, a difference do, between $100 right,
1: care and $500 care. Right, yeah. right.
2: So I try to delineate that first, get that out of the way. They're like, and if they don't want to give me an answer on it, I'm like, well, what do you normally enjoy? So if they're like, oh, money's not an option. I'm like, well, what do you normally like? And they're like, well I like opus one then i'm like okay well they don't care about money yeah they just like they, they'll spend whatever then that gives me a little bit more idea if they're like i like justin cabernet then i'm like okay well then they want something maybe that's what around the 60 they would like they would like yeah. something a little bit more affordable so i get the, the pricing out of the way at first i at, in that same moment while i ask them like what do you normally enjoy that'll give me like their stylistic choice like what they their palate agrees with and then i'll ask them about the cuisine i'll be like well, what are you having for dinner tonight are you having seafood? Are you having steak? Do you want the wine to pair with the meal? Right? Because some people want to drink fucking Cabernet with their sea bass. It's like, yeah. And that's okay. And I, I will ring the register and I will sell you Napa Valley Cabernet at $150 a bottle with, with your, your sea bass. Very lightly so dried sea bass. I just, it's it's all about like asking like little prodding questions, nothing too intrusive, and then trying to get like down to like what they're going to enjoy the best. Nothing never does it enter in my mind my opinion about what I want to enlighten them on. Unless that's good to know. Unless they're really looking for, if they express to me, I'm really looking to find something that's like different and unique and that's gonna like blow my mind, and something that's like for a price point that is lower than what I'm used to, but that's gonna deliver for the quality. Then I can get geeky with them. So like for me, it's 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 really tailoring the experience to what they they want and asking questions and listening.
1: Do you get that often? Is the the guy who walks and goes, listen, I, I want to spend a hundred bucks, but I want something weird. I've never had a grape from Greece or you know, I love some that. part of Italy, but sure. like, I trust you, I'm going to eat a fish and whatever. Then and I love that. Usually most of the time they're cool with that.
2: One of the most, yes, I love that. When, when someone would give me the autonomy to play around with it like that, and then show them something unique. One of the, this is a different, a little bit off topic, topic, but one of the most ex- crazy experiences I ever had, not crazy, but like eye-opening experiences I had was, I was at bourbon steak and one of their, um, executives came in to dine and super nice guy and everything like that, but I had never like served wine for him before. And he was like my all encompassing boss. And he said, I I went to the table and he goes, I'm having the fish tonight, but I want you to pick out a red wine for me because I don't want white wine. And I want it to pair well, well with my fish. He's like, just bring me whatever. So I'm like, <laughs> cool, cool. And then like, I step away from the table. I'm like, Oh fuck. Like now what? Like <laughs> now what am I going to do? So immediately I'm like, okay, so not, I, I can't overwhelm the fish too much, right? So I'm thinking about something that's, like, going to have acid, though, because, like, the fish, I think, was bass and, uh, like, a fattier fish that needed some acid to cut through it, right? Um, but I don't want to overwhelm them with flavor, too much flavor intensity or too much tannin or too much oak or anything like that. So I settled on Giuseppe Vira's um, Barbera. Was it Barbera to Asti or Barbera? You used to Bar- love that Alba. wine there. I remember you it was the, what an amazing the, the wine. The Barbera, just I mean, yeah. his really? badass too. And those wines are so good, Vira. But we've
0: well, been drinking the Riesling like fucking fiends.
2: Super high acid, beautiful Barolo. Oh, I mean, yeah. beautiful Barbera, amazing aromatics, not heavy tannin, high acid, perfect. Nailed it, dude. And he's just like, oh, and like, he came back like four times in the next year to visit, and he's like, send me that Barbera, send me that Barbera. So pretty cool. I, I got it right, but. Yeah, it's it's interesting pairing wines for people with cuisine that doesn't necessarily I kind of want to do that. I want to, like,
1: I would like to go more to a, uh, like, a higher-end restaurant, sit down with a sommelier and be like, listen, here's the deal. I prefer, uh, I'm going to get this steak. I want to spend $120. Go to work. Like, white wine, or not, excuse me, uh, give me a red wine with that thing and give me something weird that you've got on your menu that you sit there and it's, it's your thing and you're like, you got to try this. Be weird about it. I don't want, like, the standard fucking what everybody else gets kind of a thing. And I don't know how to phrase that because I do that with bartenders and I I always get called out on this by a, my girlfriend and B a good friend of my brand. And I go and say, what cocktail do you like make that for me? And they're like, dude, fuck you, man. Like, dude, I get that all the time. And like, I figured out how to word it better that they go. (laughs) Cool. I'm like, I like a Scotch. I want it to be light, because it's summertime, and like, I got it, and then they run off, and they come back five minutes later, and every single time, super happy about the drink.
0: It's just a matter of reading your people. I mean, if you got a guy who looks like the stuffy businessman who you know is Mr. Opus One, you got an idea. You see a couple bearded hipsters that are super into wine that want to have something fun, you can be like, all right, how much money do you want to spend? I got some cool stuff like Etna Rosso, I got some cool stuff from Southern Rhone. I got something from Greece. I guess I've been liking Greece wines by the way a little this, bit more. more. The
2: stimulation for me as a sommelier was never involved with me like um, flexing my knowledge or geeking out about the wines because I really enjoy the business side of things too. So I, like as much as I enjoyed like giving my preference to people and telling them what would pair good with what, and that was artistic for me, I enjoyed the business side of it as well, and I love the businessman that comes in and buys two cases of. Opus one at five hundred dollars a bottle. I'm like, yeah. yeah.
0: Make sure it gives you also a budget to buy other yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's like great. Like I'm gonna
2: ring the register on that, and then I'm gonna go buy myself like twenty cases. Business of Kermit party Rich where it's all silver Oak. Yeah, Cab, so, like, silver I, oaks for the. So table. I enjoyed both uh, both sides of the equation. I loved being a businessman, and I also loved being like the the connoisseur but and like all that,
0: that that's AC the difference stuff. about you and how your business was structured. There are a lot of sommelier jobs in America, say Vegas, for example, mm-hmm. where those somms are actually working on commission. So it's their job to upsell and sell heavy and sell the high dollar value. Right. Like that's how they work. They work for a small amount of hourly wage and then it's commission and they're making dollars on every bottle they're, they're selling.
2: Yeah. Well, a lot of those sommeliers too don't even direct the program too. And like, for example, if you're in like a resort like the MGM, there's like a main buyer and they have this giant seller and they actually share that seller with like, 10 restaurant outlets inside the same resort. So like they're like they're not even concerned with the business model of it at all. They're just trying to get commissions by selling yeah. them. Well, well, oh, 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 oh,
0: Oriola has like a master that runs the program, but then there's nine advanced that work the floor. There's that too, yeah. And mm-hmm. so those advanced that are working the floor, they're making commissions. Yeah. So all they are is they're hit men. I suppose. Or I, hit women. I,
2: I, I, was on, I was on commission at my sommelier jobs as well, and I would get tipped out and commissioned on on my performance and sales, but I never like really gave a shit about that because I knew that like if I was just honest with the guests that like repeat customers, repeat customer and like you. and people that trusted me would like take care of me and like i would eventually figure out the money part of it and so like for me it wasn't it wasn't necessarily about that i don't know maybe that's the wrong thing if you want to become wealthy but maybe. i was just, like I I, well care. a
1: lot of people don't re- it's one thing about the wine industry is the long game yeah. it really really comes down to this is a long-term Game and a lot of people want to get that quick dollar out there immediately. Like I've seen certain wineries get bought up and they immediately flush the market with everything that they can. Mm-hmm. Dude, I I'm amongst a what I imagine is a thousand other wineries in the country who are part of this. This specific business forum where when somebody gets bought out and they need to quickly sell everything they have, shiners, barrels, whatever, they go on and they just email blast everybody saying, hey, new ownership, we need to make money here. I've got 10 barrels of this super high-end winery stuff, but instead of spending $100 a bottle, we'll give you two at $25 a gallon. And you're like... Dude, holy crap. And they're just trying to off it as fast as they can to regain that money back. Because nobody wants to sell her shit for 10, 15 years. Because it's a hedge fund that bought it or a realty investment company that bought it. That's unfortunate, too. Because there's such
0: great wine that could age for so long for a nap. And it just doesn't. So what's been your uh, favorite part of the business? You've worked on the SOM side. You've worked on the education mm. side, the sales side, the retail side.
2: I mean, yeah. I think you've covered... Holy
1: crap, you are a jack of all trades. The only thing you touched, haven't done, you I've haven't
2: touched, been a winemaker. Um, I've touched most of the market. I haven't made wine, and I would never pretend that I could like step into that role. thats um, I know the process of it, but I'm not a scientist. Um, I don't know the the equations and the chemical processes of that, but uh, maybe someday. Um, Retirement plan? I think that... Make Clefty cab? I think that... Um, winery side is so awesome when you're at the estate um, because you get to be around the plants and you get to be around the nature aspect of it. And, when people come to Napa Valley and they visit a winery, they're just happy. They're in a good mood. They're like, fuck, I don't have to be in the cubicle. I'm at this winery. True. And I'm You're like in here, nature too. And I'm in nature and like I'm going to be attentive attentive and listen and like learn. And this is gonna be transformative for me. So like it's been so rewarding to work in an environment where like ninety-five percent of the people that come up to visit me or are, are at the winery with me are people that are willing to listen and learn and, and be open to like a a transformative experience. So that's been super, super wonderful. But, um, the sommelier side of it had its perks too. And I, I, I don't love the hours and like the light, the nightlife like that. And, um, the long hours of being in a restaurant, the restaurant business a lot, but I enjoyed the autonomy to create a business within a business. And, um, and luckily, the places that I was a sommelier at let, let me express myself and be a businessman and have full autonomy. Um, and it wasn't corporate environments where things were chosen for me. I got to like be like, I can buy what I, buy what I want and give that to my consumer. I loved the business side of it and the sommelier but in the sommelier side of it. I really enjoyed the dollars and cents part of it. Um, and then retail for me was super awesome too. Like, there's nothing like slinging bottles of wine in a bottle shop. I, that's my it's favorite so fucking aspect. fun. Talking
1: to people. In it's the end, so It sounds like all three of us that's right a, here. That's how I met him. Talking to but, people.
2: But Damien, to answer your question, I loved all three of them, all three of the sides, um, even for if you can't wholesale that I was in for, for briefly. I loved all of that. But there's all one common thread in every part of the wine business, and it goes back to exactly what you said, which is the, the most amazing, wonderful, and lovely people that you could ever meet in your entire life are involved with this business on every side of it, and I, and I love the fact that I've been able to create lifelong relationships through my line of work, and that I, I, I truly love the people in this business that I've met more than the wine itself.
1: That's
0: awesome. I'll, I, I, that's I have nothing uh, else to say after that yeah. one. I mean, it's I so think true. on that one, that one's probably the best way to go. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's why you're here today
1: with
2: us. I mean, love you guys, man. That's the truth.
1: I love that. Every single time we have peer friends on, it's always
0: ends with "Love you guys." Because <laughs> it's true. <laughs> on that, I honestly I want to wrap it up after that because I think All that right. just sums up everything. These wines are amazing. Cheers, Cheers guys. I really appreciate you this sharing was, them with us. This was one of my favorite
1: tastings we've done, so like fun, hands right? down. So fun. Uh, thank you so much for bringing these, uh, honestly, just guys. The it's
2: boss, dude. That yeah, the chimera. Chimera is, is the one. still the show, man. This yeah. so and I want to make sure I pronounce this.
1: But this one's opening up so super nice. elegant,
2: right? And then Neil's Neil
1: Neil is, is fantastic all three of these wines are banging. These are killers out here. The Chimorosa's fun to drink dude. It's where it's at. So let's eat some tacos, and, and hang taco. out, and drink some wine together. Let's we're gonna it. go. We're gonna go visit him in Napa. Maybe we'll bring like the cameras out and video stream. Absolutely, we'll, his do little some, thing. we'll do some. Work we we need to go see the ponies that you need to name before we get there. They have names.
2: I just fucking forgot. Yeah. Oh,
1: they better be fantastic. <laughs> Thanks everybody for watching, listening. Cheers. Love you guys. Thanks. Cheers, guys.
2: Cheers.